for people who've given up on church but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Would you stand as we continue our series in the book of 1 John? Let me read some scripture that Aaron will share with us in just a moment. 1 John chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. You may be seated. Well, I was thinking it was kind of funny in the first service, you know, my wife and daughter are both in other countries right now, which means we're, we're like, you know, survival of the fittest at my house right now. It's a little crazy. So I had my two little boys with me this morning and I got down after that first part and my 10 year old turns to me and said, dad, that was a great sermon. It was nice and short. <laughs> I said, I haven't even preached it yet, but, uh, let me, let me, uh, encourage you. I'm, I'm going to do a truncated message today. I want to get us into 1 John, but uh, I'm aware of our time. We have just a few minutes left, and I want to jump right in. Last week, we began our series in 1 John. And if you missed uh, week one, I'd encourage you to go online and listen. This is one of those times where uh, the series kind of builds on itself. And we laid a foundation in 1 John last week. We, we said a couple things about this ancient letter. Uh, 1 John uh, was written by John, the youngest of Jesus' disciples. And uh, he's actually the only one to die of natural causes. Uh, he spent his final years, probably his 80s and 90s, if you can believe it. This is when he did his writing, in his 80s and 90s, uh, in a port town called Ephesus. Ephesus is in what we would now call modern-day Turkey. And it, it's at the end of his life when John sits down and writes these, these letters, these documents that eventually become five books that we have in the Bible. The first is the Gospel of John. That's the biography he wrote about Jesus' life. 
The next three are letters called, uh, very cleverly named, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. I'll let you guess what order he wrote them in. And then finally, the book we call Revelation. John wrote that as well. Now, we, we laid a little bit of foundation. We said that, you know, John's letters can be, they're not all that easy to read. Uh, John is more of a poet than he is an attorney. And sometimes his arguments spiral and circle around. We, one, one scholar describes him as kind of more of a rapper. Like if we were to compare him to, he'd be more like a modern day rap, rapper, which last week we talked about means that he's kind of like Run DMC. Reading, reading First John can be tricky, 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 tricky. So uh, we've got to wrestle with this. We, we've got some work to do here, right? This, uh, John wants us to wrestle with this because it's in the wrestling that we might mine from it what it is that he's trying to say to us. Uh, the first century church at John's time was just being born. It was just getting started, and the cement was still wet. Uh, what it was going to become, what it was going to be about, what its mission, what it, what it would look like, the things it would care about, they were still shaping and forming. And John was in the mix, and there was a lot of conflict around this in his day. Uh, in fact, in John's community, we know from his letter, there was a group of Christians that had recently just split. They said, hey, we, we're, we're out of here. We're going to go do our own thing. And we don't know exactly what the issues were, but there's some poss likely possibilities. Uh, some scholars think that within John's church, within his community, was a group of Jewish Christians that were known as the circumcision group. Uh, the, these were the, the Jewish Christians who said, yes, if you're not a Jew, you can become a Christian, but there's a little surgery you got to go through before doing that, right? So you can imagine uh, conversions to that group were very small amongst men. Um, but there's another group, another group that was, uh, they were known as the Gnostics. And these were Gentile believers who wanted to merge the teachings of Jesus with some of the latest Greek philosophy. It was like, we'll take a little bit of Jesus, take a little bit of this, that, the other, mix it all together. Uh, and then there was still a third group that, that were, uh, well, they liked Jesus as a teacher. They liked his moral teachings, his ideas, but they didn't want anything to do with the cross or the empty tomb. The idea that God would take on a bod, that was like, that was too messy for them. They didn't want anything to do with that. So the, all of this is swirling around in John's day. And so John, who is the grandfather of, of this spiritual community, sits down to write a letter to spell out in no uncertain terms what is the core message of the Christian faith. What is the one thing the church is to be about? And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, what John lacked for in youth, he more than makes up for in passion. In fact, when he gets to chapter 3 of this letter, which is what we heard read, he, man, he is lit. He, he is so fired up. Uh, scholars tell us he stops writing in complete sentences. He actually just starts writing in, in little phrases, and he's throwing words, and he's dropping verbs. And so, like, next time your English teacher marks you down for incomplete sentences, you just say, well, the, the, the Apostle John, right? Because he, I mean, he's just so, he can't even finish a sentence before he starts the next one. In fact, I was thinking, if John were to write in our day, he would have a lot more tools at his disposal for communicating his passion. Like I imagine this verse being written in the NEV version, the new emoji version, and it would look something like this, right? 
See what great love heart the Father has lavished on us. Praise hands, right? You feel his energy? Or he could use gifs like this one. Can you imagine if he could insert this into the letter? See what great love the Father's lavished on right? us. If John had these tools, he would have used them, but he didn't. All he had was pen and paper. But we hear his passion, and it builds and it builds and it builds until we eventually reach verse 16. And right here, I mean, John's like, look, if you're going to catch anything, circle, circle, underline, highlight, do whatever you've got to do. Don't miss this. Listen to how he picks up in verse 16 right here. This, hear the emphasis? This is how we know what love is. Okay, we all know know church. We all know we're supposed to be about love. We all know it's love, love, love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, at that point, we're like, okay, that sounds kind of churchy. But then John, he's going to, man, he's going to really go for it. And this is going to sting a little bit. He says, if anyone, who? Anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? John. What are you talking about? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. John pulls no punches. And this morning, he's just going to tell it to us like it is. And it's going to feel like a challenge. But I want us to hear the hope and good news that he has in this for us. You see, John is not saying... He's not saying we should never use words to communicate love or the message of Jesus. We need to use words. In fact, the Greek um, conjunction here gets lost in the translation. The Greek conjunction is a not only conjunction. You want a not only. So it might read like this. Dear children, let us not only love with words and speech, but with actions and in truth. Words matter. But what John is saying, what he is saying is that when you see someone in need, when you When I, when we see someone in need, someone without power in their life, someone without material possessions, someone who is poor or needy or marginalized, you, we, me, who have power, we have material possessions, we have know-how or money, we are to share with them. We are to be generous towards them. That's what John says. Why? Because that is love in action. Now, in our world today, there are basically, you can kind of group most churches into one of two camps. You you kind of have truth churches, right? Action, we have truth churches, and then you kind of have action churches. Truth churches are kind of like this. Truth churches, they're really good at truth stuff. Like, they're really good at teaching truth, studying truth, memorizing truth, like truth churches. Got that, right? And, and when they think about people's needs, they're like, well, yeah, that kind of matters, but we're not really interested in their physical needs. We're interested in their eternal needs, right? That's kind of what a truth church is. Get, get a feel for that? And then there are churches that we might call action churches. And action churches, man, they are so good at serving and meeting needs, and they've got mercy ministries and justice ministries and food pantries and, I mean, just everything you can imagine. But, but when it comes to truth, they, they get a little squeamish. Like, well, you know, I mean, we kind of like Jesus just to be a nice guy. We don't want to have to talk about the cross and sin. and that, that, That's a little scary. We just, can we just be nice? Got truth churches and action churches. 
And what John is saying to us here is that it's not enough to be a half church. He wants us to be a whole church. He wants us to be a church that does ministry in word and in deed, in truth and in action. So for these last few minutes, what I want to do is I just want to dig into these three verses and see if we can figure out why this matters so much to John. Why is he so passionate about this? And here's what you need to know. Uh, Because we're short on time today, I promise to to not have too much um, uh, unnecessary humor and storytelling. Uh, In fact, I'm going to invite you to do what Mrs. Cole, my third grade teacher, used to say. I'm going to invite you to put on your thinking cap. Can can everybody take your thinking cap? Come on. Put on your thinking cap. Let me see it. All right. Thinking cap's on. Because I'm going to ask your permission just to teach this today. Can can we just dig in? I'm going to just kind of go verse by verse through this. But we're actually going to go backwards Because we need to start with verse 18 and work backwards to understand what John is talking about. So, verse 18, we heard it. In order to understand this, we need to look at what verse 17 says. John writes this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? What is John talking about here? Well, you might not know this. It's not obvious at first glance, but what scholars point out is John is actually quoting another famous Bible writer in this very verse. John is quoting, he's restating something that Moses wrote in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. Listen to what Moses wrote back then. It sounds almost exactly like John. He says this, if anyone is poor among your brothers and sisters in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Interesting. Why is he quoting Moses? We well, see Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is really just kind of Well, it's a set of sermons that Moses gave to God's people right before they entered into the promised land. Kind of like final instructions, like what you give your kids right as they're getting out of the car to go to the first day of school, like you're going to read them the riot act, right? So Moses is going to kind of read the riot act to God's people, say, hey, here's what I want you to remember. And he says, look, if there is anyone poor among you, do not be tight-fisted, but be open-handed. Now, why would God care so much about I mean, okay, they're needy people and God, like, okay, why? but why would he make such a big deal? Well, see, in order to understand the why, I want to take you back a few chapters earlier because Moses tells us why in chapter four. He writes this, I have taught you decrees and laws. What decrees and laws? That if there's anybody needy, you should give them. Okay, I've taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Okay, got that, Moses. Observe them carefully. Now notice, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. When they hear about this, all all these decrees, they'll say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? This is a little bit complicated, You guys are smart. You've got your thinking caps on. Do you see what Moses is doing here? He's saying, look, you have a mission. If you are God's people, and you are, 
You have a mission. You have a job. Your job is to show the nations who God is by being a nation of justice, by being a nation that cares about the poor, that cares about those who live in the margins, those in need, the widows, the orphans, those without among you. And of course, of course, one, we do this because it pleases God. Yes, that's true. But we also do it, Moses says, because it shows the nations, the peoples, the ethnoses, what kind of God he really is. And of course, this is John's point. This is why John is quoting Moses to us, because the church is to be the same kind of thing in the world today. If you are a believer, if you are here and you are a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you are off the hook, man. You just listen. But if you are here and you're a Christian, then John says your life should be marked by the love of God in this way. That when people who don't believe see you loving others in this way, giving power, sharing status, giving away your goods, your time for the benefit of others, when they see you doing that in that way, they would go... Wow, what would compel them to do that? You see, this is so countercultural. This is so opposite the wiring that is in us. We, we live in a world that says, my time, my money, my power, my stuff, all has one thing in common. Yeah, they're all mine, right? They're all mine. And your need has nothing to do with it because your need is not my problem. That's just the kind of world we live in. And that's our default operating system. But John, John cuts to the heart here. And he invites us to reflect on this rhetorical question. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how, how can the love of God be in them? I remember a few years ago, I was sitting at Starbucks with a friend. Uh, this was in, when I still lived in Los Angeles. And uh, this particular Starbucks was a converted uh, mechanic shop. I don't know why they did this. But they took all the garages and they blew out all the walls. But they, they left the roll-up doors. And then they would open it during nice weather. And you'd sit out under this patio. And so um, it was like one of those days that comes about once a century in L.A. where it's actually raining. And so we were out there sitting under this patio, just enjoying the rain, uh, watching it come down. And, and the patio was packed, again, because a bunch of Los Angelinos like, oh, rain. You know, so, so we're all sitting out there. When uh, all of a sudden, this guy enters the covered patio, and it, it was obvious he, he was without. Uh, you know, he was probably living on the street, uh, didn't have much to his name. Uh, and, and he was barefoot, by the way. He didn't have any shoes on. And, and honestly, it was a little bit cold. Uh, and watching him come in, we're kind of, wow, you know, he's just trying to seek shelter. And so then I watched as, as everyone around me did kind of what my tendency is too. I kind of just avoid eye contact with him, you know, like I didn't want him to come over and ask me for anything. And I was just like, eh. But my friend who was sitting with me uh, did the most incredible thing. He, he got up and walked over and sat down at the table where the man was uh, sitting. And they struck up a conversation. I couldn't tell what they were saying. They talked for about a minute. And then I watched, I, I mean, I'm watching across the path. This is incredible. I, mean, I watched as my friend stood up and he got down on one knee and he took off his own shoe, unlaced, 
and then began to put that shoe on the homeless man and, and tie it up. And then he switched, took off his other shoe, put it on, tied it up, stood up, shook the man's hand, and came and walked and sat back down with me at the table. And I, I, I sat there flabbergasted, right? I, I did not know what was more shocking. The fact that my friend was now barefoot, like, <laughs> like this, or the fact that everybody else in that patio was like, what? This was, this was un, un, unbelievable, right? What would compel my friend to do such a thing? And I have to tell you, I, that, that image has been burned in my mind because it, it was almost as if I was seeing Jesus in the flesh in that moment. Because what it was a picture of to me was my friend who, who gave out of his riches because of another man's poverty. Like he gave his riches to that man's poverty and he took that man's poverty on himself. Do you see the Jesus part of this? How powerful. We sat there, what? And this is precisely John's point. You want to know what real love looks like, John says? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see, friends, Christian love is not a feeling. Christian love is not a sentiment. It's not a philosophy. It's not an ideology. It is not sending good vibes or simply praying for people. Christian love, according to John, according to 1 John chapter 3, Christian love is one thing and one thing above all else. Christian love is sacrificial action. This is how we know what love is. We are to love just as Christ loved. Now, as we wrap up, I want to tell you why I think this is really cool. Because I don't want you to be discouraged. I hope you will be encouraged and hopeful because here's what's amazing. What this means is that when you make room for someone else at the lunch table, that, that student that doesn't have anyone else to sit with, or they're not a part of your friend group, and you make room and you invite them to sit with you, you are loving as Jesus loved. Whenever everyone else is ganging up on someone and roasting them on Instagram and you choose to come to that person's defense, you are loving as Jesus loved. When you buy less car than you can fully afford, when you spend less on vacation than everything so that you can give to those in need, you are loving as Jesus loved. Anytime you give away your time, energy, attention, knowledge, or resources to those in need, you are loving as Jesus loved. Now I need to pause here before we end because I, I know what some of y'all are probably feeling. Right, so somebody here, probably not you, probably the person next to you, probably, but but somebody here is feeling guilty right now, right? Like, okay, Aaron, I get it. I guess I'll sign up for Westlake Sirs. Is that this about? Okay, right? That that's not what this is about. Because if the only reason you're going to sign up for Westlake Sirs is because you feel guilty, I would rather you not sign up. Because you're going you're gonna to mess up Moses' principle here, right? We're, we're, we're to do this out of love. Out of love. Not guilt. And that's exactly John's point in the very next verse. He says this. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, that's guilt, right? If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. That's not from God. And he knows everything. 
So we are not to be motivated by guilt. We're not. Guilt's a terrible motivator. It doesn't work and it doesn't sustain. So what should motivate us? Well, it goes all the way back to the beginning. Do you remember our NEV, our new emoji verse? See what great love the Father has lavished on us. See. And the original language here could not be more emphatic. Look, behold, open your eyes, John says, and see what great love the Father has lavished on us. John says the only motivation we need is to look at the cross and see the difference that it might make in our lives. It was, as I was thinking about this, it reminded me of an old hymn. Some of y'all will know this old hymn, How Great Thou Art. I love this one stanza. It goes like this. It says, When I think of God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. John says, the only kind of motivation that will actually compel us to this kind of love is when we see the great love that the Father has lavished on us. And my friend, have you ever considered how great his love is for you? Can you imagine? Can you imagine if, if we could be a church that was marked by that kind of love? Can you imagine if we, if we could be a church that, that we could see, behold, how amazing the Father's love is for us and that out of that love that would overflow, we would sacrifice, we would give generously of our time and our resources and our lives to those in need. And if that could be true of us, if that could be true of us, what change, what difference, what good might God bring about in our communities, in our families? in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. Can you even imagine? See how great the Father's love is for you. And let that love compel you. That's John's challenge for us today. Can we pray?